Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Well, good morning, everybody. We'll just go ahead and get started. Um, I'm going to pray and keep things rolling. Um, so let's start. Father, uh, we do thank you for our time together. We thank you for the light you shine upon us, not just the light that's coming in through the window, and we do appreciate that, but the, the light of your sun uh, that shines on us. Uh, we appreciate uh, that you've given us your spirit. I pray that your spirit would be active in us this morning, that you would give us eyes to, to see truth about you, that we'd have a correct view, that, uh, that I could be faithful uh, to uh, pointing uh, and interpreting um, your word with respect to who you are, uh, your sovereignty, your providence, how amazing you are. And I pray, Lord, that we'd see some of that glory this morning and that we could take that with us when we worship and that we would worship you uh, knowing that you are amazing. Bless our time, we pray, Lord. Bless the other teachers and what they have to share, and we pray that, uh, that our work would be fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So my, my goal in this module is to, is to unpack a great deal about the sovereignty of God, about the providence of God. And it's a lot of stuff, right? And if you, this, this, these modules that we're doing are are really based on outlines that are presented in a, and you may have heard this from other teachers, but a, a, a book called Systematic Theology um, by John Frame. And it's the book that the Pastors College uses when they, so one year, a few years ago when I taught Systematic Theology in the Pastors College, that's the, the textbook that we used. And there, it's, it's big, right? The book's like this thick. And it's, there's a lot of stuff, right? And I'm really big on quotes. I have a lot of information. Um, I was, uh, you probably wouldn't be surprised that I was on a debate team in high school. And we, one of the things we did was we had, um, we had cases with index cards, lots of them, right? And on those index cards were quotes. And I'd say, according to the Brookings Institution in 19 whatever, you know, they said such and such. And so I'm really big on quotes. Uh, this is like a college class, and so I'm trying to, to, I'm giving you a lot of information. I'm trying to persuade you that God is sovereign using scripture and using uh, expert counsel. Um, but there's not a lot of time, and normally in a Sunday school class, I'm a little more relaxed. I can say, hey, uh, Ben, can you read this verse, you know? Um, I'm going to flash the verses in the screen knowing full well that you can read them. And I may or may not read them to you, and I'm leaving it up to you to read them sometimes. And I also know as a teacher, I'm a math teacher for those of you that don't know me, I know that our human brain is incredible and that you can multitask, that you can read something and listen to me at the same time. And it's part of why it's difficult for me as a geometry teacher because my students you know, not only do they not generally not like geometry, but their brains are capable of like taking some of what I say and thinking about something else. 
It's why someone, you can listen to one of those commercials on the radio where the guy talks super fast, right, on purpose, and yet you can somehow understand him. It's because your brain is much more capable of receiving more information than you think. And so I'm going to challenge that in this class. Today's lesson isn't so bad, but especially lessons two, three, and five are, have a lot in them. And so um, this one's more of an introduction, so not too bad. I've got two introductions today, um, and partly because um, each, each lesson I like to um, weave in some historical theology. So I'm going to be teaching you uh, or exposing you to some famous uh, figures in church history or theologians. And so um, I'll be name dropping a lot, but, but hopefully giving you some background on some, on some of these names. And some of you already know them. Um, you know, Craig, I don't think I'm going to mention a name that Craig doesn't know, but, but this is going to be new for, for some of you. And I'm not trying to impress you with my knowledge. I'm trying to, to expose you. And so you may be, so if you hear a name like Hervin Bavink, you might say, well, who's that, right? He, he's a reformed guy who wrote a systematic theology, and you know, he's a guy that, that we like. And, and so I might throw a name out there like that. You might not know who he is. Uh, please don't be intimidated by that. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, I, I want to bring this down, but I still want to challenge you. So I have to somehow, right, work, try to, to do that. So I'm probably not going to take time to say, would you read this first? We're just going to jump right in. So um, I've got a big topic. Um, whoops, somehow I skipped a slide, I think. Um, am I in the right lesson? I, yeah, I, no, I'm not. It says lesson one. Wait, I think so. Hold on. I guess I am on the right one, but I thought I had a question that says, what is theology on here? So I'm a little confused. I'm sorry. Okay, well, I think I'm here, but I thought I had a question. I thought I had a slide that says, what is theology? But apparently I don't. So um, I'm going to, um, huh, what? I'm so sorry. I don't do this with geometry. I've been teaching geometry for 36 years, and so I kind of like, I have everything up here. Um, all right, I guess some, something's, maybe I should have uh, checked this out better. Okay, well, first of all, let's ask you, what, what is theology? Let's get started. Easy question. This is not meant to be a hard one. Study of God, right? We know that O-L-G-Y thing, the ology part. That's a study of, right? And so you can put a lot of prefixes in front of that, and theos means God, so it's a study of God. Now, but theology is really big. But when it comes down to it, the knowledge of God, right, is the, the central core, or the, the, the core dogma. It's, the, it's, the, it's really the exclusive content of theology. But there are other things. So we talk about anthropology, the study of man. We even talk about that in, in theology. Or, or uh, soteriology, which is study of salvation. And so there's a lot of ologies in, that are subcategories of theology. But we're concerned, we're concerned in this course, in all the modules you've been through, and this is the last one for you, we've been really focusing on theology proper. You, you know, the study of who God is. There's a, 
this verse right here, um, if I had to uh, pick a, a verse for our, like a theme verse for our, for our class, it might be this one. It's hard to choose just one because we're going to look at some things in, in Romans 9, um, Ephesians 1. I'm going to spend a lot of time on that passage in Ephesians 1. deals with predestination. There's a lot of stuff. But this verse, really, I think, um, this could be our, our song of praise every, every time we gather, right, in corporate worship. If I hope, and I hope you're in a seat where you can re- read this because... What I've had complaints about is people say, I sit in the back and it's not high enough. I can't make this thing higher. I wish it, it's already in the highest peg. I wish I could make it higher. But I hope you can read them. And if you can't read these verses um, next week, there's more seats up front. So, or in two weeks. We won't be meeting next week. Next week's Easter. So we'll, we'll be meeting again you know, in two weeks from today. Um, so uh, John Calvin, who I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, he wrote, um, he wrote something called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's one of the most important uh, documents, religious documents, probably in the last 500 years. And he wrote it at age 25. Just, just, just astounding to me. Absolutely astounding. But he, he begins his institutes with this quote, and even Frame refers to it when he gets this, because he has to justify why he doesn't have his... Uh, This topic at the beginning of Frame's book, he doesn't have it there. But he quotes this um, for good reason, right? And and it just so happens that I just found out recently that next year when we do this again, we're going to have six new modules and a new theme. It looks like um, I'm doing this one, um, the knowledge of God. And so it's a little more more philosophical, and I'm going to work really hard to try to make it less philosophical and more practical. But what I am going to try and do is every lesson have some, uh, something practical at the end of each lesson. That's my goal. But I hope you read this quote, and I agree with it. Really, the Bible tells us about God and ourselves. And then what do we do with that knowledge? What do we do with that knowledge? And so I would ask you, well, why is theology important? Why, why is theology important? We know what it is, right? It's a study of who God is, knowing God. Now, next year when I talk about the knowledge of God, it's not just us knowing God. The distinction is to, that we've been learning in these modules, what do we know about God? Now we're going to work next year, I'll be talking about what do we know, what does God know? That's hard. I'm not actually looking forward to it. Dave's got a great topic, I think. I like, I, I like your module. That Dave's going to be teaching on justification and more, and more Christology, and, and I think that's another ology, right? Um, a good, Dave's got a good module next year. So um, no one told me why theology is important. If we, if we can't answer this question, let's leave. Let's go have some coffee. Why? Okay, now that, we're going to be getting into that, and that's what makes this class really compelling. We're not, not so much today, but, um, but why else? Why else is theology important? Why, are we, why is it you're doing this? Well, it would be like a marriage. If you don't know your spouse, it's kind of hard to love them. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, by studying that, you know, studying God, it helps us to 
understand um, how magnificent he is and how close to worship him. Right, right. So what we know about God should, should inspire us to hopefully worship or not worship, to serve or not serve, to obey or not. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so we, we, I hope that when we're done with these, these six lessons, that we love God more. Because we, we think, oh my, he's, he's amazing. He is amazing. I mean, we'll, 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 let's keep going. Um, but how can we know God? It's hard. Kind of, right? Theologians speak of the incompre- incomprehensibility, long word, of God. And, and we see that you know, in this verse in Isaiah, when he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So there is a sense that we can't even know who God is. And that's what I'm going to talk about next year, My whole module is going to be dealing with stuff like this. I didn't know that until recently. But but when you start to think about, well, gosh, God is farther farther than I can go, right? And and yet, and we're, I can't even, it's not even a continuum, right? It's not a continuum. It's God's in a different place. Um, David, um, same thing, is his greatness is unsearchable, right? That's just, and, and so, but it is possible to know God. It is possible. But why, why, why is it possible? He showed himself to us. Okay, he's, he's revealed himself to us, like in his person, right? He, God is personal. He's, he's even though he's, and he condescended, right? That's why we like that word condescend. He, he came down, right? That's something God had to condescend. I mean, because, again, we're at a different place. I reject those who think that there's a continuum, that there's God and man, and maybe some people even want to put nature in there on this continuum with God. No, it is God and everything else. Okay, it's not a continuum. And, but God is, God is so far above us. But Packer says something interesting. Um, oh, and here's the Herman dude I was telling you about. Um, Packer says, how can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into a matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and to praise to God. The study of theology is hard work. And it's not, it's not beyond anyone in this room. And I challenge you, and I'll continue to do this, to challenge you that when you read the scripture, meditate on its truth. Don't just, it's not about quantity. I mean, if you're reading the Bible in a year plan, that's a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's better, it'd be better for you to read five verses and meditate on the truth and see how it applies to you and, and challenge yourself than it would be to read five chapters and say, I put my time in. The study of theology is, is hard work. It takes time. You need to meditate on these truths 
and see how they apply to you. And don't think in general terms. Think in what does it mean to me? What do I learn? What, what should my response be? God wants you to change. He wants me to change every day, every day. And you have to go to him every day and, and expect to be challenged. And when you read the word of God and you're not challenged, keep reading until you find something where you're challenged. And so I, I spent like six months in Proverbs in my personal meditation just because I knew I'd be challenged. And, and then I, now I'm, I'm working through Romans 6, 7, and 8. And I'm almost done. I'll be done in a few weeks because I'm doing like a verse a day. And you, you'd be surprised. You can take a, one verse and that can be your, your devotion for the whole day. And, you, and take some time and meditate on it. I, I, I journal. I, write, I type it out on my iPad and write it out. Because otherwise, I would be lazy. You know, I want to challenge myself. So I, I encourage you to challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. So theology might be hard work, but it's not, it's, it's not too hard. We can do it. We can do it. Years ago, um, I, uh, around the time I was born, J.B. Phillips wrote a, a book called Your God is Too Small. Uh, it's a little book, no pun intended. Um, but he said, if it's true, and I've thought this too, if it's true that there is someone in charge of the whole mystery of life and death, we can hardly to expect to escape a sense of futility and frustration until we begin to see what he is like and what his purposes are. See, my goal is to, is to help us understand that our God is really big. He's really big. And that, that's my goal. And you'll see that if you consider the providence of God. You know, I had someone in my last class, he asked if he could meet with me. He had some questions. A young guy. And he asked, and so we had breakfast this week. And it's interesting, the question I thought he was going to ask, he didn't ask. And that was, how does he do it? How does he, how does he sovereign over, how does he... He numbers the hair on our heads. He knows when a sparrow falls. How does he do it? I don't know. I know that he does. And it's like I'm like Job. And God says, were you there when I set the plumb line for the earth? You have no idea. Our God is really big. And, I, and, I, I, and it should stir us to worship. It should, it should excite us. And when we sing these songs, think about what you're singing so that you're not a liar. I hate singing that song, I Surrender All. That's why I chose it for the title of the Paul study, because he surrendered all, and I know I don't. But it's a model for me, right? I want to aspire to that. I still want to sing it, but I have to recognize that I don't surrender all, but that I... Hope and pray increasingly I can move the needle, right? Get closer and closer, right? And so that's what sanctification is, right? Okay, so getting a little preachy here. Sorry, I'm getting off track. Um, so that was my first introduction. That's just the introduction for the class. Now I'm going to talk about my, my, my real introduction for this module, and that is that everything begins with God. Um, everything. 
And so when you, when you think of this, what are the scripture verses that come to mind? Genesis 1-1. Me too. Right? What else? John 1-1. And guess what? Just like magic. I feel like the magician, you know, who just like pulled it out. It's like, guess what? And it's, a, and it's exactly where your mind should go. Right? It's where your mind should go. Everything begins with God. The Gospel of John starts that way for a reason. It uses the same words. The same words that Genesis does. It's not an accident. Right? Everything begins with, with God. Um, you know, um, more great verses. You know, I, Colossians 1, I don't know if that, if that chapter is overlooked, but if you want to defend the deity of Christ, you go to the first chapter in the Gospel of John, you go to Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. That's where you go. Hebrews, Colossians, John, first chapter in all three. If you, want to, if, you want, if, if you talk to anybody about Jesus being God, that's where you want to go. In him, all things hold together. I mean, that, when I, I can remember having a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness about that. I say, well, you got, you got a Bible with you? Oh, yeah, I do. Well, let's go to Colossians 1. I said, this is where you and I probably, you know, disagree. Because it says right there, in him all things hold together. And you're trying to tell me that he's not divine? You can only say that about God. Amen? Amen. Right? That's, that's what we believe, right? That's what we believe. So, um, what are some of God's essential attributes? And there's a lot of them. And this time I'm not going to predict them all. What are, what are God's, some of his essential attributes? Fire them away. I can't believe how late it is already. Holy, okay, good. Keep going. Infinite. Infinite. Immutable. Immutable, I love that one. It's not even on here. I mean, on my own list. All-powerful. All-knowing. All-knowing, omniscient, right. Love. Loving. Self-existing. That's a really good one. Don't have that on here, because there's so much. He's spiritual, he's eternal. Um, he's, he's so many things. I forgot to put that slide up there. Okay, the one that one of the ones that stands out, and I'm kind of surprised that no one said that word that starts with S. Okay, um, sorry, I, I should have looked at my thing here. No one said sovereign, and that's something that I remember where I was about 35 years ago, ish. And someone said, it was Denise Shearer. Do you remember her? Married to Ed Bartek. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, yeah, okay. Because yeah, yeah. uh, they're Friday nighters from way back. So if any other old Friday nighters are here, oh, you, you probably remember, right. So it was Denise Sheard, and she said at the time, she wasn't married, she said, what do you think about the sovereignty of God? He's sovereign? <laughs> I'm for it. Yeah, right, right, right. I'm for it. Um, and it really, it, it, she was the first person to, to, to get me thinking about it. And then, and then Diane Walls, which a lot of you know Diane. And she talked to me because she was starting to listen to R.C. Sproul. Maybe it was a little more than 35 years ago, but ish, right? And so, um, and that's when I got exposed to um, this dude, Calvin, right? Uh, we, we met at Diane, Fred and Diane Walls' home on a Sunday afternoon, once a month, to discuss these these big issues, and one of them was sovereignty of God. 
And I think I was the last person to finally, to finally just like, it's true, you know? I mean, this whole idea, I, and so, and then I, and I, once I, I have no pro, people will say, Randy, you think you're right all the time. Well, no, but if I think it's right, I'm, I passionately defend it. Why wouldn't I, right? So it's not that I think, I, I think I'm right until I'm proven wrong. And, and, but once I feel like I understand it, and my, even if my direction changes, I'm going to passionately defend it. And so I became even amongst my friends, you know, the Randy the Calvinist, you know. Even our, um, Pastor Riccatella used to, yeah, well, Randy the Calvinist, you know. I mean, so like, I, I was like labeled. What's the fuss? What's this thing? Uh, this is, um, these, one generation later, so they never really met. Um, but what, what's the fuss all about? Well, you, you may remember um, uh, Nathan Bailey did a, um, a, a, what a whole Sunday morning class for the whole church uh, on John Calvin. He was born in France. He, he left the Catholic Church around the age of 21. Uh, actually, uh, Luther would be uh, was ex ex excommunicated a decade before. So Luther predates Calvin a bit. Um, but they were persecuting uh, Protestant uh, reformers in France. And so he fled uh, to Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, I mentioned that he wrote the Christian, uh, the Institutes of the Christian Religion. People just call them the Institutes. Uh, J.I. Packer calls it one of the great literary wonders of the world. And it influenced it, it, it's far-reaching. It's beyond theology. People don't realize this. It's an important document in history, in Western history, because Calvin says, if you do it, do it for the glory of God. And that, that thought has permeated and even influenced capitalism. And so very, very um, important. Calvin's an important scholar. He wrote his commentaries. I mean, David, Pastor David and I have talked about it. It's the commentary we go to first. His commentaries on Scripture, he wrote commentaries on about 80% of the books of the Bible. And his commentaries are, are amazing. I mean, they're, they're really to the point. Um, Jacob, uh, Jacobus Arminius, he's also known, just known as Arminius. Um, you get pretty famous, that's what happens, I suppose. And so his teaching um, was a, the, the basis for the Dutch uh, remonstrant. And this was a, um, a movement that his disciples drafted five articles that essentially refuted Calvinism. And so you may, you may have heard about the five points of Calvinism. It's known by the acronym of TULIP, uh, T-U-L-I-P, T for total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. That's that... People might think that the five points of Calvinism are the original and that Arminius actually like attacked it. It's actually the opposite. The five points of Calvinism are actually a response to what Arminius proposed that he didn't like about Calvinism. And, and so the five points are actually a response. But I, I mentioned, just to give you an idea of how respected Calvinism, Calvin is, this is what Arminius said about Calvin's commentaries, and I'll, I, I generally don't like to read slides to people because you can read, but he says, I exhort students to read the commentaries of Calvin. He says he's incomparable and that he ought to be held in greater estimation 
than all that is delivered to us in the writing of the ancients. So he's talking about people like Augustine. Calvin is incredible. He's really, really gifted. He says, I give them preeminence to him behind most others, indeed beyond them all. And so I, um, we're going to talk about this more. I'm kind of teasing you right now. Uh, we're going to talk about this more in the future, but this is the difference. What's the fuss between Calvinists, Arminians? This is the, what I've put down as the essence of the debate. That in, monergistically, God does it all. Whereas Arminian thinks of it synergistically, that we cooperate with God. And that's, that's, I'll put it in a simple way, and we'll talk more about this. And as, since Dave Folk's in the room, he's going to talk about it next year, too. So um, we're, but this gives you the, the, um, the idea uh, moving forward. Okay, so what is the sovereignty of God? What do you think of when you think of sovereignty of God? The answer is no one. The answer is no one. Okay, so that's kind of like, almost like pre, right? That's a, like a basis for his sovereignty. But how can we, can we add to that definition? He rules over all. He rules over all, right? And, and um, his sovereignty is the right, like you said, he answers to no one, and the power, it's the right and the power to do whatever he wants, right? That, and Job says, he, he, you know, no one can thwart his plan. No one can turn back uh, someone. Uh, there's another one that's a verse that I used in my devotion. I, uh, no one can turn back the hand of God. No one. And so, pro but providence, which we're probably going to talk, providence is essentially the, the outworking of, of God's sovereignty. But they're, they're almost interchangeable, but not quite. Think of the word providence, you think provide. So how God provides, but I don't mean how he gives you stuff, but how he does everything, right? His providential work, right? Everything God does is providential by definition. If he does it, it's providential, right? Um, that, at least that's what I think. And we're going to, so here's a, uh, something from the Shorter Catechism. In my last lesson, I'm going to talk about the Westminster Assembly when I get to the history part. And so, um, what are God's works of providence? And this is a good definition. I put this in here because I think it's a really good definition. So, that was actually my, uh, still an introduction, and I realize only have 14 minutes left, and I just finished my second introduction. So, but I don't have, this, this lesson is not, um, that I'm doing today isn't controversial. Most people are going to say, oh yeah, I, like you said, I'm for it, right? Uh, I, yeah, he's sovereign. Absolutely. I'm going to talk about, um, uh, I have two claims, two major claims to make. Um, uh, one regarding is that, that uh, God is um, efficacious. That in other words, what he, he accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. And uh, the second main point, I think it's probably in your outline, um, if I can find it, because I have to re uh, refresh my memory. I have an A, but I don't see, oh yes, and that he has control over everything he creates. So, so let's get rolling. So to say, um, 
To say that, that God's power, that, that God's providence, rather, is efficacious, is to say that it always accomplishes his purpose. Um, this is a general description of providence. Um, following this point, the rest of this module is going to address God's providential control over specific areas. So what I'm trying to do is, is like a debater, set out a case. You know, in debate, we had we, we, the affirmative uh, sets out a case. And then the negative says, no, we like the status quo. We think it's good the way it is. So I'm being the affirmative, and I'm going to say, this is my case. And so I would say, number one, God always accomplishes his purpose. And I have lots of scripture verses. Of course, if this is as a debater, I would say, you know, this is my evidence, right? You know, I, 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 would, I would say, turn to Isaiah, you know, 14. Um, what God plans happens, and he's planned it from all eternity. He gets what he wants. God gets what he wants, and he knows what he's doing. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing. And we read in, um, what, what the angel tell Mary, that nothing, right? Nothing is impossible for God. Um, it, it, Genesis says the same thing. Nothing is impossible for God. Uh, nothing, nothing can interfere with God's will. Nothing. And it almost sounds arrogant. But it's not because God does it. It's almost, I remember when I was a kid, people would say, you know, a dude would say, no brag, just fact. You know, like, because you'd, you'd challenge him because he was boasting, like, you know, like, like, oh yeah, I can hit that pitcher. No brag, just fact. But it was bragging. But with God, it is no brag, just fact. It really is. It's just fact. And so, God, God, the second point is that God has control over everything he creates. He has control over everything. It's not like, it's, it's not the deist, you know, the people, um, deism was apparently a popular brand of theology when our founding fathers um, wrote the Declaration of Independence. And that view sees God as being a little, as being more impersonal of just setting creation in motion and just kind of kicking back and seeing how it all unfolds, which is the modern view of that is open theism. And I'm going to mention that later in this module. We reject that. We reject that. God has control over everything he, he creates. And I have three points that I'm going to get through here. Um, the first point is that he has control over the natural world. He controls the course of nature, and we even saw that, right, in the life of Christ. That's what they, they were so astounded, right? Like, who is this dude who has control over the sea? That's just not, I mean, you could think of other things that he did that maybe, you know, but control over nature? And, and his control is, it, this is not random. It's intentional. His control is intentional. He made the world according to his own wisdom, his own plan. He knows it inside and out, and he, he planned all the laws and principle by which it operates. God planned, he, he created these laws of nature that scientists want to refer to. And they're not wrong. 
They're not wrong. These laws are not wrong. Matter cannot be created or destroyed, right? That's the, conserv- the law of conservation of matter. The law is good, but God created it. And God can violate his, he can, he can circumvent his own laws. And that's why we believe in miracles. God is the only one who can create and the only one who can truly destroy. The notion, um, or I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. You know, Jesus emphasized that, that um, his control go, goes even to the, the finest details. I made mention of the verse in Matthew about, um, about you know, the, the, the knowing when the sparrow falls and counting the hairs in your head. The notion that natural law um, governs the universe is absent from the Bible. God, God may have created the laws of nature, but he is not subject to them. Secondly, God it has control over human history. He controls all of human history. And it's not like, what would happen if this changed? No. God wanted it that way, and that's why it happened. And that we should find comfort in that and not, be, and, and not gnash our teeth. We were formed from the dust. We are not just linked to nature, we are bound with it. We are a very part of nature and dependent on the rain, the sunshine, the crops. We could not exist without a a vast accumulation of apparently random events. But God controls it all. I said apparently random. I mean, try to imagine the chain of events that led to your birth. Just think back of all the things that had to happen that you'd be born. And God knew it all. He predestined it all. He has a plan for you. I always wonder, like, like God's had so much mercy on me. I'm such a terrible sinner. And I, have, I now have seven beautiful grandchildren and like, that I know like no reason to, to be able to brag except to brag in Christ alone that God had mercy on me. And I think, who knows? He might have only <clears throat> let me get this far because you know, he wants Ollie to, to save, you know, lead someone to Christ someday. I don't know. He's having mer- but it's, it's amazing how everything works together. And Scripture says, in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. That's profound, right? right? So God controls the course of our own lives, Paul says that, you know, when he's um, in his preaching. Um, again, I'm trying, I have to go a little fast. I see the clock and I go, oh, wow, wow. Does that say 10 of or 5 of? I forgot my watch this morning. Okay, let's pretend like it says 10 of. Yeah, I think it does say 5 of. Um, God controls the course of our own lives. Um, a great example, an example that we're probably going to, I'm going to refer to multiple times, is the situation with Joseph, right? Um, you remember his brothers, his brothers uh, sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, but thankfully, you know, uh, one of his older brothers talked him out of it. And so, um, and he says to him, he says, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And don't think it was an accident that I was sold into slavery. God is sovereign over all human history. He's sovereign over the nations. We know that. He, re, he empowers kings. He removes kings. And he has a purpose for all of it. And that's what we're going to talk about more in the coming weeks, that God is purposeful. In fact, I'm not going to be here the third week, and 
Jonathan Rethorn is going to teach the lesson where he's going to talk about God governs with purpose. Nations gather for war, but it's God who decides who will prevail. Scripture is explicit when explaining that it is God who enables Israel to defeat their enemies, but it's also God who even raises up nations to defeat Israel, to teach them a lesson. And there is perhaps no greater example of how God set this stage for the center point of human history than with Christ, right? We see it in the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How God, and you know the Gospels are very explicit about Jesus would say, it's not my time. Every, you know, it was like there was a time for everything. Everything. And it was all planned. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus, oh, I, I can't believe Judas did that. Right? It's very clear in Scripture. There's no, there, it's, it's not, it, it's, it's very, very apparent. Um, so I'm, I'm getting, getting ahead, of, ahead of myself, or behind, actually, on my slides. And I, I love this phrase, and we even have a song about it that we sing here at Christ's Word. In the fullness of time, God sent Christ at the perfect time at the perfect time, in the fullness of time. And I, I'm so astounded by the truth in Romans 5. He, Paul says, Jesus died for us when, when we were his enemies. We were his enemies. That's how much he loved us. And we, don't, we don't love our enemies. Admit it. Do you? I don't. I mean, I'm trying I'm trying, honestly, I, I, think, I think a lot of it, we, our lives are so good, and I'm going to preach a little bit here, a lot of us hate poor people. We do. They're not like us. We, we love people who are like us. So, probably don't like Muslims either. They're not like us. I'm, I'm being challenged personally. I hope God is challenging you. I hope the Spirit is working in your heart. And challenging you. Um, I got off track there. Um, but it was, everything was according to plan. Everything was according to plan. It was God's act that raised Jesus from the get, dead, and it is God the Father who has planned the day and hour um, of Jesus' return in glory. And scripture is even clear about that. Everything is planned, and even when the disciples, when Jesus, when? Sorry, that knowledge is too wonderful for you to know, but it's planned. And, and the next thing is that he's, he has control over um, individual human life. So it's not just God, it just corrals the major moments in history. He has control over individual human life. Our very existence as human beings, is by God's gracious gift of life. That's why, you know, my, my daughter Rebecca just had a baby, and, uh, and Dee got to be there. Thanks, you know, the COVID things have made it so she hasn't been able to see some births lately. And boy, what, what a joy. I, I was jealous for her. What a joy. I mean, four of the most incredible moments of my life are watching that baby come out. Amazing, right? And I see some dads smiling. And women, too, of course, but we get to watch. You guys have to endure the pain. Sorry. Um, but uh, it, it's really re remarkable. Remarkable. God controls all the 
accidents of history to create the precise person he seeks to employ as his prophet. And God's foreknowledge of individuals will be discussed uh, later in, in Ephesians 1, as I look here. Um, God plans the course of our life and our death. Um, I'm behind here. Uh, I see the clock. Uh, he determines whether we prosper or we fall. Uh, so, application. There's lots of different applications you can use, and I've tried to come up with a different one for each lesson. And so the first one is fear of God. The fear of God is the soul of godliness. And we know in Proverbs it's the beginning of wisdom. If I learned one thing spending six months in Proverbs, it was fear of God is important. And I, I really think you should, you should consider having it help govern your life. Because we need all the motivation we can. And so, you know, remind yourself, yeah, God's in control. God wants me to do this. God disciplines those he loves. God loves me. He loves you, I hope. And, and I'm going to presume he loves all of you. That's where I should be. And the thing is, he disciplines. In fact, I even ask him, God, be gentle with me. I'm afraid of his discipline. I know I need it, but I'm afraid of it because I don't want to hurt. I'm a wuss. You know what I mean? But we, we, we need it. We need the correction, right? And, and so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom for a reason. And even uh, his, the Bible says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to ge generation. And so it seems to me that our acknowledgement, if we can say, okay, what did we learn today? Let's just say we learned that God is sovereign today. Well, if he's sovereign, shouldn't we fear the guy who has control? Right? I mean, like if somebody points a gun at my head, he now has control over me, right? If I value my life. God's way bigger than some dude with a gun. And Jesus says that, right? He says, don't fear that dude. Fear the dude that can do something for eternity, right? So this should lead us, knowing that God is sovereign, it should lead us to say, God, and when I say fear, I don't mean cower, be afraid. I mean respect, awe, understand that he has the power to lift up and to push down as he sees fit. And he does it with purpose and he does it, he does it righteously. Everything he does is just. And that's another topic for another day. And I think, what, is, what does it mean to fear the Lord? And I, was, I meditated on this and I think... Number one, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And I don't do that. I had a discussion with my friend yesterday on the phone. You know, he's in Michigan, I was driving. And, and I said, what, what I've been impressed upon me is that I don't hate sin enough. We try to fix our outward life, and that's the wrong approach. The right approach is inside out. You know, David's going to get to it, one of those woes. He's going to talk about the Pharisees, how their hearts were darkened. That was their problem. It wasn't, yes, they were legalistic and that was part of their problem. But the main problem was their hearts were darkened. And so we need to pray. I've been praying, create in me a clean heart. I, I tolerate sin. And I need to respect God 
respect the fact that he judges and he has control over my life and respect that, right? You know, when Paul says, um, oh, I, there's that verse. How about that? I'm really behind and I got to finish up. This one is a really controversial verse and this is what I'll close with. Some people hate this. Some people say this is a verse for Arminianism because it says, work out your salvation. So you, like you cooperate with God, you're working, you're working through it. You're, no, that's not what this verse says. And I, the problem with ancient Greek is the lack of prepositions or the, um, the, um, the, imp, the implication of what the preposition is. Not that we can just pick and choose. But I hate this preposition right here. I think it should be, I don't hate it, but I think it, it's not that it's wrong, but I think it should be through. <coughs> what he means is, we, with fear and trembling, we work through our salvation. We're working, as we, as we go through our Christian walk, we do it with fear and trembling. Not because we're afraid, but because we, we do it knowing that God is in control and that we are subject to him. And he, he gives and he takes and we'll talk about contentment in another, another application, but I'm starting at least with the essence of fearing God. Does that make sense? It's a, I think it's a, the place to start, and then, and then we talk, you know, then we talk more about being content and other things. But this is a, the starting place. Amen? Amen? All right, sorry I went over. I usually don't do this bad. Uh, forgive me. Father in heaven, we pray that we would go into worship thinking that you're amazing. That you're, that you're wonderful, that you're sovereign, that you're just, and that, that, that you, and so we're so thankful that you love us. To be subject to a sovereign God who didn't love us, that's scary. But we can go in there happy. We can go into the sanctuary happy because you love us. You've given us your spirit. You've given us Jesus Christ. We are so blessed. And I pray, Lord, that we can radiate that light to others, encourage one another, Encourage one another beyond, beyond these four walls, we pray. Change us, Lord. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.